My name is Tom Dunn. I have the great privilege of running a technology-based finance company that normally has me on the road or in the air to any one of more than 50 countries in which Orbion does business around the world. COVID-19 has dramatically altered this world. In this series of podcasts, I hope to shed some light on different aspects of the pandemic's effect. Generally, the lens will be pulled back and a wider perspective brought into view. But the aim will always be to provide expert commentary that will shine a torch on a strand of particular interest. For this piece, I have the greatest pleasure to be joined from his home in Oxford by Archie Brown. Archie is Emeritus Professor of Politics at Oxford University. For over 50 years, he has written and taught about communism, the Cold War, and political leadership. Beginning in 1983, as part of a series of policy briefings that he gave to then Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher and her foreign affairs team, he told her that the soon-to-be-appointed Soviet leader, Mikhail Gorbachev, was someone with whom she could do business. In 2016, Bill Gates, to whom we might return later, described Archie's 2014 masterpiece, The Myth of the Strong Leader, as one of his favorite books. It is to the subtitle of this book that we will now turn, Political Leadership in the Modern Age, more particularly, Political Leadership at This Time of Pandemic. Archie, it's a real pleasure to have you um, uh, join me for this podcast today. Um, and uh, I know that you're at, uh, at, at home in Oxford at the moment. It really strikes me that COVID-19 um, is presenting some very interesting challenges for, for leadership around the world, political leadership around the world. It strikes me that it fundamentally, it's a non-discriminatory risk. It doesn't matter whether you are from America or China or Japan or the Philippines. Uh, the risk presented by uh, COVID-19 virus uh, exists in exactly the same way. But we have already seen very sharp differences in the styles of response from political leaders across countries and regions. Um, it's probably too early to comment on the ultimate effectiveness of the different responses. But what illumination is already evident of how styles of political leadership have colored different approaches to the pandemic? So first of all, thanks very much for the kind introduction. And the uh, leadership clearly has become more important than ever. Um, and I think it's more important than ever to realize that, you know, grandstanding leadership and uh, the, the strongman style of leadership is among the least um, effective in a crisis like this. I mean, one generalization we might make, I think, is that um, democracies, though they vary greatly in the extent to which they successfully dealt with this crisis, democracies have done better than authoritarian regimes. Uh, China, of course, is the outstanding example. Some of China's later response was um, effective, and uh, their scientists deserve great credit. But the very fact that the person who could have stopped the virus at its source uh, was called in by the police in early January and told to stop spreading rumors online, uh, Dr. Lee, um, he, he was the, the man who could have been the world's hero and prevented this massive uh, loss of life and massive loss of employment throughout the world. So um, democracies certainly have done better, but uh, even in democracies, 
the leaders who are authoritarian by style have tended to do less well, to put it mildly. Uh, I mean, President Trump is manifestly out of his depth and has been flailing around, around inconsistently. Um, and, um, you know, as usual, has um, decided that he knows best, even though the policy may change from one day to another. So I think we know we've had examples of how not to do it, as well as some examples of how to do it. Who would you particularly cite um, recently as kind of having been doing a good job? Would you would you accord Angela Merkel with some of the the the, the praise and the bouquets that she's been given recently? Absolutely, yes. Uh, in general, I think women leaders have done um, better than men, if we can make that generalisation. Um, 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 the Prime Minister of New Zealand um, and uh, in Taiwan, um, Tsai Ing-wen, certainly Adern in New Zealand and Tsai in Taiwan. And in Europe, uh, quite outstanding has been Angela Merkel. Now, Angela Merkel has got many advantages. Um, Having a doctorate in the natural sciences is a help at a time like this. She understands the evidence, but she's someone who has always avoided grandstanding. She's been a collegial leader, really noted as a good listener, um, and uh, accepts an evidence-based policy. She's been criticized in the past for being slow to make up her mind, and that's you know, because she doesn't um, act on impulse. She, she studies the evidence. But she really listens to colleagues and advisors. So that style of leadership um, has been one of the advantages that Germany has had. And um, Germany has done so much better than Britain, for example, and has done better than a great many European countries. Yeah. And what about the sort of the the the, the some of the countries that sit on? I mean, I, I think about a country like that I visit quite often, like Singapore. That's a sort of a curious mix between. Um, authoritarianism, but in a very um, uh, forward-thinking um, uh, uh, capitalist type of approach. Um, do you have any any thoughts on kind of how they've managed to how, to deal with this um, uh, better than better than others? And I guess in alongside the likes of Korea and Taiwan, that seem to have got things pretty well right. Yes, well, just as some democracies have done better than others, some authoritarian regimes have done better than others. And Singapore, of course, is a mild authoritarianism in comparison with China um, and has done better. Um, Hong Kong has done better. Um, but um, the, the democracies in Asia, um, I think India will have a terribly serious problem, but there again, you've got um, a strong man leader um, who is not the right, not providing the right kind of leadership at a time like this. But um, the countries which have done well are the relatively recent um, uh, democratic successes of, um, uh, of Asia, such as um, Taiwan and South Korea. Interesting, yeah. With, I mean, so much of political, the perception of political leadership, the perception of political strength and of, and of success is driven by the reporting by the media. We still have you know, generally free media in much of the West, but still the the, the lens of the spin doctors tends to uh, uh, to be to be ever present. Um, but notwithstanding that, the the the, the COVID crisis I and mean, it seems to be tailor made for twenty four by seven media coverage. Where you've got 
rolling totals of the infected around the world and the number of dead people around the world and dramatic images of people in chemical hazard suits. Um, but if we think about the the responsibility that the media has had around the the political aspects, do you think how, how would you score the media so far in terms of in within in the West, in terms of the uh, the quality of response that they have had and the responsibility that they have shown to careful reporting of the uh, of the of the pandemic. There have been some um, good um, reports in the media, um, precisely making the point about um, strong men um, using this as an opportunity to extend their powers um, uh, in a very opportunistic way. So I've seen some good articles, but. I would say that um, the media have become obsessed with um, the top person. There is a, certainly in Britain a, a fetish with, with the top leader. And so when Boris Johnson became ill, I mean, one political editor and commentator after another said, you know, how will the government be able to proceed you know, with the prime minister out of action? But it would be a sad um, reflection of the British political system if it required uh, Johnson to be there. I mean, after all, he is someone who has never had a reputation for um, doing his homework. Um, he's always been rather um, slack about policy detail. And so if we do require uh, Boris Johnson there and in order to combat the coronavirus, we're in a bad way. Okay. Uh, so, indeed. But there was something that you just referenced there that I found um, uh, that's, that, that's quite interesting and actually I think was a, uh, has been a comment uh, or the subject of commentary by the likes of Gideon Rackman in the, uh, in the Financial Times, which is about, if you like, the, opportunis- the opportunism of uh, some leaders that have sought to use the crisis, um, you know, I guess as the expression goes, never let a good crisis go to waste. Um, and they've sought to find ways of um, using it to embellish either their their credentials or indeed to, 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 to strengthen the constitutional position that they have within their regimes. And I think uh, Viktor Orban in, uh, in Hungary um, springs reasonably immediately to mind, but I guess there are other examples as well of this. Yes, certainly. Viktor Orban in Hungary um, getting the right to rule by decree, um, cracking down on any um, dissemination of false information, but you know, of course, false information can simply mean critical information, uh, just as uh, happened with Dr. Lee in, in China. It was in early January that he warned that this was a really serious crisis on the way if something wasn't done. And the poor man died um, still in his early 30s, in, in early February of the coronavirus. And um, in Hungary, the Stephanie Orban has used this to strengthen his already powerful position still more. And um, uh, she in, in, in China um, and Putin in Russia um, have used the crisis to um, help to make the case for their getting rid of the existing time limits on their tenure. So provided he remains in good health, Putin is likely to be the Russian leader for longer even than Stalin was. Whereas in China, Deng Xiaoping, one of his achievements was to get a, effectively a 10-year limit on the tenure of the top leader that has now been dispensed with um, under the chairmanship of Xi. 
referencing uh, Vladimir Putin in Russia, do you, you know, based on your long, huge experience of uh, Russia and previously the Soviet Union, and uh, are there any particular um, lessons or illuminations that you see, you know, emerging in the last uh, in the in the last several months? Whether it's with regard to the oil price war that uh, that, that that Putin has launched recently, or some of the continuing um, bellicosity um, around around some of the uh, former Eastern European countries, um, how you how, how do you perceive this at the moment? Well, Russia Russia is quite a complex question. Uh, I mean, some of what you regard as Russian bellicosity, I think, is um, also a response to Western policy in the Soviet. Post-Soviet period, I think that um, a lot of Western foreign policy has been very insensitive, to put it mildly, to Russian national interest and the kind of triumphalism that um, followed the end of the Cold War. Um, that was unhelpful, to say the least. Um, but nevertheless, um, Putin has not come out very well from the health crisis. I mean, he was one of the leaders who downplayed its severity, just as. Donald Trump did in the early stages, and <clears throat> Russia is going to have a pretty severe health crisis, and of course, economically, it's going to suffer a great deal from this drastic drop in the energy price. So um, he may well have um, a troublesome time ahead. Nevertheless, there is a strong tendency in Russia to um, with a lot of faith in the top leader and to blame officials lower down when things go wrong. Just um, thinking about top leadership and just switching the, the pivoting slightly from where we've been on just thinking about uh, uh, political leadership. Um, this is a this is a global pandemic that is kind of presenting challenges that the a globalized world has 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 hasn't really faced before. Um, it's very different from the financial crisis. It's very different from some of the military uh, issues, of whether of the Cold War or the, or, or, or the various hot wars of the 20th century. Um, do, we, do you think that there is a role that is going to be played, a leadership role that can be played by non-political actors um, into this situation? And I, and I refer back to um, one of your great fans, Bill Gates, um, uh, and who seems to be playing a leadership role around condition, con, uh, the, the conduct of uh, discussions around the WHO, um, as well as his um, uh, prescient views on the, the, the risks presented by pandemic uh, considerations. Whether it's, it's Mr. Gates or it's others, how do you, do you, do you see a role for non-political leaders in this, uh, in this, in this pandemic? I think that's a very important point. Um, I mean, when we speak about political leaders, we tend to think of heads of government. But, um, you know, some some of the most important leaders um, are not actually political power holders. And Bill Gates is an outstanding example. Uh, I mean, a major funder of medical research. He is somebody who very clearly believes in evidence-based policy. And when he did, as you kind of referred to, um, raise my book in the midst of a strong leader, when he reviewed it, the case he um, focused on was that of Adolfo Suarez in Spain, who played a tremendously important role in Spain's transition from authoritarianism to democracy. 
but he did it in a very <coughs> collegial and um, inclusive way, bringing in even the leader of the Communist Party, which had previously been illegal in Spain, Santiago Carrillo, uh, bringing in the socialists and um, getting a remarkable degree of consensus on a new democratic Spanish um, constitution. So Bill Gates actually seized on that example. So in spite of having been such a highly successful um, businessman himself, and um, probably many a person in his shoes would have built a cult of personality around himself, he did appreciate that style of inclusive collegial leadership. But absolutely clearly, he's somebody who studies um, the medical evidence, takes a huge interest in it, and is a major funder. And now that, you know, Donald Trump is removing American funding from the World Health Organization, the support for people like Bill Gates is all the more crucial. Archie, it's been a real pleasure um, uh, to talk to you this morning. I hope that uh, the, 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 the lockdown um, is released soon enough for you to be able to get back onto the, uh, onto the streets of Oxford and, uh, and onto the onto the road as well uh, to tour your, your new book, um, which we will you know, all eagerly await. Um, and in the meantime, I thank you very much indeed for your time this morning. It was a real pleasure to talk to you. Well, thanks very much, Tom. Thank you. Bye-bye.